at 20 years old, I found out I was pregnant. Those two pink lines devastated me. I knew I could survive the adventure of parenthood, but I didn't have a roadmap to help me thrive. Welcome to the Two Pink Lines podcast, a podcast addressing the questions of unplanned pregnancy. I want to share stories of women and men who've embraced the unplanned and found out that they can still hope, dream, and become a parent. Hi, I'm your host, Cheyenne Erickson. Join me as we embrace the unplanned. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. So this is our first episode of 2021. And I'm not gonna lie, it's a little bit, it's a heavy one for sure. Um, today we talk about perinatal mood disorders. And so before you go, I have no clue what that is and try running away. Um, I would say this is an important episode for anyone who's pregnant or a new mom. And um, even if you're friends with anyone who's in those positions or a partner, it's nice to be aware of what a perinatal mood disorder is. So um, when I was pregnant, I had no idea about this. I had heard like Courtney Cox had postpartum depression and stopped acting or something like that. Um, But I think our goal is to really normalize what this is because around one in 10 women suffer from something like this. And so it's very normal. You're not out of the ordinary, but you do need help. Um, I didn't have anything like this with my first, but with my second, I had both prenatal and postpartum depression, but I didn't know it and I never got help. And so I would strongly encourage you guys, listen to the resources we have here. We have a lot of them in the show notes. So I have two wonderful women here to talk to us about this. Um, Nancy Single and Dr. Joe Kim. And they do a great job of giving their introductions, but I'm going to read a little bit of their bio for you. Um, Nancy's a social worker and she's a credentialed Illinois infant early childhood mental health specialist. And she's one of the founders and current staff members at Beyond the Baby Blues, which is in Evanston, Illinois. And then um, Dr. Joe Kim, which we call her Joe in the episode, is um, the director of the perinatal depression program at the North Shore University Health System, which is where I had both of my babies. They had excellent care. And she's also a clinical associate professor at the University of Chicago. So I felt just so honored to sit down with both of these ladies, hear about their expertise, hear about what they've done to help women, and um, that there's really a lot of support out there for y'all. So um, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Nancy and Joe. Welcome, guys. Thank you. We're glad to be here. Awesome. Um, Nancy, would you mind? I realize that we haven't often had a lot of um, like two female speakers on here. So if you could tell us who you are so they can identify your voice and know who's talking. Sure. Okay. So my name is Nancy Siegel and I'm a social worker and I have, I'm one of the founders of our program, Beyond the Baby Blues. Uh, Joe was the inspiration for the founding of Beyond the Baby Blues. Um, I have been working uh, with, well, I started this program with two other women, and we have been running it now for about 10 years. 
Um, and it has like superseded almost, probably 90% of my other work because it has grown uh, considerably over these past 10 years. And so I, I'm very busy with it because there are a lot of women who are struggling, particularly now, but even before now, um, mood issues, both during pregnancy and after delivery are very common. And as more and more people have learned about what we offer, more and more women have reached out to us or been referred by their providers. Yeah, I mean, I know when I lived in Chicago, I reached out to you guys. And um, because of a move and such, we didn't end up connecting. But it looked like an amazing program and an amazing resource. So I'm really excited to have your perspective on this topic. Um, Dr. J- um I'm sorry, Dr. Kim, <laughs> will you introduce yourself? <laughs> Absolutely. I'm Joe Kim. I'm a clinical psychologist, and um, I work for a hospital system um, based in the same town um, where Beyond the Baby Blues is headquartered. Um, uh, the hospital system is called North Shore University Health System, and we were actually one of the first hospital systems in the country to establish a perinatal mood disorders program. So I direct that program, which includes... Um, clinical, educational, and research components. Um, So I'm overseeing a lot of different moving parts, but all with the common goal of making sure that we can identify and help women and families who are struggling with mood disorders during pregnancy and in the postpartum. Um, Outside of that, I'm also a mom of three kids and um, I'm dealing with overseeing e-learning, emotional reactions to pandemic, and um, just about everything else you could imagine right now. Everyone's like multiple hats have now collided and it's like, you know, life. (laughs) Um, Well, what brought you guys to be interested in doing the work that you are for women with um, postpartum mood disorders? Um, I can go first because I can tell you that I can't remember exactly how I got into this. Um, I guess in my pri- my private practice, after I left my agency job, uh, I was getting, um, I had always worked with um, mothers of very young children, and I guess I was getting more referrals from women who um, were experiencing perinatal mood issues, and I really enjoyed working with them. So when I decided to um, to expand my work, um, I went to meet with Joe and to remind her of how interested I was in working with women with uh, perinatal mood issues. And what she and her colleagues said to me um, was that there was there were a lot of therapists around who were qualified uh, to work with women who were struggling. Uh, during pregnancy or postpartum, but that there was not a group for women. Um, And the more she talked about it, the more it seemed like a wonderful challenge. Um, So I took that challenge and I brought it to a couple of colleagues who agreed. And the three of us just went about doing what we needed to do to create a program. We piggybacked with another program to get... um, onto their 501c3 until we had one of our own. And we designed the group as we wanted it to be. And we launched it, I think, in January of 2011. Um, And it's just been growing ever since. 
um, it started out slowly and it's grown and grown and grown. And unfortunately, the existence of COVID and the pandemic uh, has um, increased uh, women's need considerably. So we do even more uh, work than we did a year ago. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Joe, um, what made you interested in like starting up that program at the hospital? So in my case, it was a little bit more random. I'll be honest. I was actually training for a career in a different area of clinical psychology and um, was doing a fellowship at um, North Shore when um, a psychiatrist who I work closely with sort of told me, hey, they're starting up this postpartum um, depression program. Um, what are you doing next year? Do you have any interest in getting involved? Um, coinciding with that, I had become pregnant with my first child myself and was sort of rethinking um, what I wanted in terms of work-life balance and everything just kind of dovetailed nicely. So I did not actually have um, expertise working with pregnant and postpartum women coming in. Um, so it's really something that I learned on the job. I did have a personal history of a very close friend who'd gone through a depressive episode um, during a pregnancy, um, which at that time, you know, 20, 21 years ago now, wasn't something people really talked about at all. Occasionally you'd hear about, you know, postpartum depression, but no one really talked about it as something that could happen during pregnancy. Um, and so, you know, that was a personal experience that I think probably drew me into being interested as I heard about it. Um, but it wasn't at all where I set out to, uh, to establish my career. And, you know, 17, 18 years later, here I am. So let maybe not all of our listeners know um, kind of this big topic that I feel like has different medical meanings versus what's, you know, thrown around on Instagram or whatever. So can you guys clarify what is um, a postpartum mood disorder? Sure. Um, so essentially, um, when we talk about mood disorders, we're really talking about a sort of whole spectrum of mental health conditions that can happen at any time in the life course. Um, so, you know, we're thinking about um, depression, um, most predominantly, we're also thinking about um, anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, um, post-traumatic stress disorder, other things that would fall under the umbrella of, you know, mood and anxiety disorders. Um, what many people don't realize is that sometimes these disorders can crop up specifically during pregnancy or in the postpartum. And although having a history of a mood or anxiety disorder can be a risk factor for developing an episode during pregnancy and the post or the postpartum, a lot of women find that they're sort of blindsided. Um, they haven't had any personal mental health history. And it's really some of the changes that happen during pregnancy and the postpartum that can trigger it for them. Um, it's not entirely well understood why that is. Um, there's thought to maybe be some underlying genetic vulnerabilities, um, hormonal changes that happen during pregnancy and the postpartum can play a big issue. And stress can also play a big issue. Um, some people are just naturally better equipped to handle stress without a big impact on their mood, um, whereas others, it will take a heavier toll. And you know, as many of the listeners are probably aware, um, pregnancy and new motherhood can be a really stressful time. Um, and oftentimes they're coupled with other big changes in women's lives, like um, household moves, starting new jobs, um, things along those lines. So it can sometimes really be a perfect storm. Yeah. When I think back to my pregnancy with my second, um, I didn't know you could have like a mood disorder during your pregnancy. Um, and so I had 
a 16 month old and then we moved for a summer and we just lived in this terrible Airbnb. It was just the dirtiest, yuckiest thing. We, when we invested in it, we thought it was going to be beautiful, but it didn't turn out that way. And my husband and I really struggled and I've never experienced anything else like that in my life. And so finding out that like, oh, this actually can affect you while you're pregnant or whatever has been, when we look back, we're like, oh, so I didn't just go insane for, you know, six months. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So um, when you talk about mood disorders or um, I don't know, can you tell me some of the signs of it? What is it? Is it just getting grumpy? Is it like, what can that look like for some people? And I know everyone's different, but um, I would say that, and this isn't put in clinical terms, that what we hear so much from women with whom we work is that they don't feel like themselves. Mm-hmm. They are either experiencing um, a good deal of sadness to the point of, we hear for, that women are crying a lot. Um, we feel that they are anxious about um, everyday events and activities and responsibilities that they were not anxious about before. Uh, they they don't feel like the real me, uh, and it isn't in a positive way. It, it has a lot of negative overtones. Um, and that is generally what prompts them to either reach out to us or to reach out to their uh, their health providers and say some something is not right and, and what we talk about with them is supporting them to get back to where they were before we're not um, talking about you are going to reach new heights of mental health which you have never experienced before we're talking about getting back to their baseline whatever their baseline was because their baseline is what they have lost mm-hmm. And it may, even for women who have had some history of depression or anxiety or sometimes bipolar disorder um, or OCD, um, their baseline was something they had grown comfortable with and that perhaps they had gotten treatment for, and their baseline is what they have lost. Things have definitely um, become much more challenging and more unpleasant. Because when you have a new baby, at least for me, like I cried a lot. And, well, with my first, my I like cried a lot. Everything was different. And like even going to the store was such a big hassle. But um, there seems to be a difference between like the normal, like, oh, I'm changing life. And I think sometimes that's called like baby blues. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm adjusting versus what you guys are talking about a more serious level of like postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. I think it's not at all unusual for a woman, especially with the first pregnancy, but it doesn't have to be a first after having her first child that, you know, there's a lot of, or a relative amount of support present in the hospital. Um, And then you come home and you walk in the door and all of a sudden you realize that whatever care and support you were receiving in the hospital, that is over. And you are back. And now you have this infant with you who may be hungry all the time or just crying all the time 
um, or maybe not hungry all the time and not crying all the time, maybe a fairly easy baby, but you, you know, you're recovering from your delivery, whether it was a vaginal or a C-section and the whole way that you lived before is kind of gone. Uh, you were able previously to focus on yourself and on your relationship with your partner. Uh, and now this very small person is looming very large. Well, it's, it's just uh, overwhelming, I think, for almost everyone initially. And I think that's, even though the baby blues are really very hormonal, I think that's part of what plays into it is just this sudden, oh my, in fact, one of the things that I say to women that helps them, I think, to feel better is I say for them, you, you feel like, oh my God, what did I do? Why did I make this decision? I can't believe you know, that my life has changed so much suddenly. And then you add on to that the kind of normal, typical sleep disruption that accompanies having a baby who doesn't know day from night and needs to eat frequently and wakes up crying a number of times during the night and might not settle very quickly or easily after a feeding. And it's just, you know, it's just overwhelming initially. But I think the difference between a woman who is developing a perinatal mood disorder and a woman who's just experiencing some initial baby blues um, is how long all of these feelings persist and whether or not her normal coping mechanisms for dealing with stress click in fairly soon or whether it's this feeling of, I am, you know, I am just, I, I am being asked to do something beyond which I am able to do. I'm okay. just overwhelmed. Joe, you were going to talk about that? Um, yeah, I actually, that segues very nicely. <laughs> um, I was going to say a lot of people <laughs> talk about um, intensity and duration. Um, so, you know, typically with the baby blues versus with depression, um, moms are not feeling this way the majority of the time. There are times when they feel like themselves. There are times when they're able to laugh and, and smile and enjoy new motherhood. But then they're sort of hit by these waves of emotion that kind of overcome them. Whereas a mom who's depressed, if you ask her, you know, do you feel this way most of the time or all the time, she's going to say yes. Um, a mom who has a baby blues is going to say, oh, no, thank goodness I don't. I feel this way some of the time, but then sometimes I feel like myself. And then in terms of the duration, typically what we'll say is um, if it's been about two weeks postpartum and the symptoms are not getting better or they're actually getting worse, that's when we would start to be concerned that it's more of a depression that might be emerging. And just because a, a woman has the baby blues doesn't make her immune from developing postpartum depression later on. And so it can get a little tricky sometimes, like what might seem like the blues initially, you know, if it's still going on four weeks later and is actually getting worse, okay, now we're, we're no longer thinking that this is the blues. Um, so those are some of the things that we'll kind of try to assess um, when we're trying to tease out what might be going on with a mom. Mm -hmm. And I think that I'm sure Joe on her end of it, and I know I on my end of it, you kind of develop a second sense at a certain point so that when I speak to a woman, I get a lot of calls from women who barely are delivered. You know, they're calling really, really quickly. Um, and I've 
I can pretty much tell, are we talking about a woman who needs to give this a little bit more time and is probably going to be doing okay? Are we talking about someone who is already uh, starting to have the kind of symptoms where you don't want to postpone her seeking help? Mm-hmm. And you know, part of that is, you know, probably objectively clinical. And part of that is just a, um, a sense that you develop after having talked to many, many women. Mm-hmm. And so if someone's experiencing these sort of things, is it where they come in and they say that to you? Or do you guys have, um, is there a process of finding out after you giving birth or how, what does that look like? I was just going to say I can speak a little bit to how it looks like within our hospital system, and then maybe Nancy can talk about what it looks like as women are presenting to her group, which is more of a Mm -hmm. community-based organization. Um, Mm -hmm. So our hospital system, like many, screens women for depression um, during pregnancy and in the postpartum. So that's one way that women can kind of self-identify is by filling out that mood screen. And then in our system... Um, and, and this is a little bit unique to us. This doesn't happen everywhere, but in our system, an at-risk score is going to trigger um, some social work outreach to that patient. Um, and the goal of that is going to be to more thoroughly assess what's going on with her, both in terms of her mood and emotional state, also like whatever situational factors she's dealing with, and kind of try to help come up with a plan for her. Um, Other systems screen and sort of handle the results in different ways. Some have internal referral mechanisms and so forth, but that's kind of one big way to identify these women. Some women in the absence of a screen will self-identify. They'll either come into their provider and say, hey, I'm struggling. They'll call and say, I need to come in for an an extra visit. I I can't go on like this. And then there are also a variety of helplines and hotlines, um, which we can talk a bit about later, um, that women may reach out to if they, you know, maybe don't have someone they feel comfortable disclosing this to, um, but recognize that something's not right and they, that they need to do something about it. Yeah. Because, um, I guess I had the unique experience of, I had both of my, um, babies through the North shore system, which was just a wonderful experience both times. Um, I actually had the same delivery nurse each time, (laughs) which was kind of fun. Um, But um, I know even though I was having tremendous care and lots of people watching out for me, um, I didn't want to say exactly how I was feeling on the screening that I was given because I I didn't want anyone to think I was struggling. I wanted people to think that I, I can handle this. But inside, I felt like I was melting. And like, I would tell my husband, I'm like, I just need to leave. Like, I I want to leave. Like I feel like a trapped animal or whatever. Um, so if someone is scared to um, kind of tell that they have this, um, do they necessarily like need, like what should they do in that circumstance? So I think the most important thing is to tell someone. Um, so for some women, that someone is going to be their obstetrician or their midwife because that's someone they trust and have a relationship with. For other women, that might not be the person. It could be a friend. It could be a family member. Um, it could be another healthcare provider. And some women, you know, I think a lot of times we in our society are programmed to think that pregnancy and new motherhood are supposed to be, you know, these joyous times and that we're all supposed to be superwoman. And if our experience is not consistent with that, then we worry that something's wrong with us. 
um, or that we're going to get judged by other people if we admit that. So sometimes reaching out anonymously is the first step. Um, you know, there is a national organization called Postpartum Support International that runs a helpline that's specifically for pregnant and postpartum moms. Sometimes people will just reach out um, that way through a call or a text um, and just kind of say, hey, I'm here, I'm struggling, what can I do? Um, so I think the really important thing is just telling someone, um, you know, because that can get the ball rolling. And I think a lot of times, Helplessness, helplessness and hopelessness can take over, and those are symptoms of depression, but they can also negatively impact someone's course because they lead women to think, um, women and men, but in this case, we're talking about women, they lead people to think that, you know, this is just the way it is, and it's not going to get any better, and there's no point in trying, when in reality, um, these disorders are very treatable. Um, and so, you know, the first step, though, to getting that help and feeling more like yourself again is to admit that there is a problem. Okay. So if someone's struggling at home with like depression or suicidal thoughts, um, what do you think their next step should be? Um, you know, I would say the answer is different depending if it's depression with or without suicidal thoughts. Um, if someone is having suicidal thoughts, um, you know, that's concerning because that means the depression is really starting to impact their thinking and potentially their safety. Um, and that is where I would want someone to really reach out immediately. And if they don't have a person in their life they can reach out to, um, there are two great resources. There's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline and the Crisis Text Line. Um, those are both national resources. They're free. They're available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They're not specific to perinatal women but they're equipped to help someone who's in crisis and who's feeling like they might not be safe right now. Um, if it's someone who's feeling safe, um, but isn't feeling like themselves, isn't doing well, maybe finding things are getting worse, um, you know, I would still encourage them to, uh, to reach out for support. But I think the sense of urgency is maybe not as great and would um, direct them more to something like the Postpartum Support International Helpline, which is not staffed 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but is perinatal specific and help, can help guide them to a variety of local support resources, as well as online support resources, phone-based. Um, there's a lot of different resources out there, but you know, if, you don't, if you don't reach out um, and try to access them... Um, you know, then you can't take advantage of them. Mm -hmm. um, Can I add one thing? Yes, I, please. I think that part of the responsibility here for um, freeing women up to um, feel like it's okay to acknowledge that they're struggling and that it is good to reach out for help in, in some way or another does fall somewhat on the medical providers in terms of their uh, bringing it up and normalizing it. Um, we use a lot of normalization with the women that we see, not normalizing a depression, but normalizing the struggle, um, normalizing um, the frequency with which it occurs uh, amongst pregnant and postpartum women. And I think that the the providers can kind of set the stage for that um, by talking to their pregnant and postpartum women about the frequency of it and about the fact that this is nobody's fault and no, it, it is a, a medical condition caused by a variety of factors and it will get better. And one of the things that makes the work that I do and the 
the staff that we have at Beyond the Baby Blues so gratifying is that women start to feel better. And it, within our groups, it's fairly, fairly speedy. Uh, not that they've been able to banish every difficult or unpleasant thought or feeling they have had, but they start to feel as if they are on the road to feeling better. And it creates hope. Um, and in a, in a sense, that's what Postpartum Support International and we are kind of, quote unquote, selling is the hope that they um, they can and they will feel better as long as they are willing to access the supports that will make it possible for them to feel better. There is just, um, Joe, I'm sure you saw this because it was all over many sites that there is a study and I can't remember where the study came out of. Uh, that indicates that an untreated um, postpartum depression can last around three years. And I had kind of grown up in the field with the understanding that it was around 18 months. Uh, and this is twice that. Um, wow. Right. And there are women who, if they don't get treatment, are basically setting themselves up for a lifelong struggle with recurrent depressive episodes. Um, and you know, it's, um, that's especially tragic because the vast majority of these cases um, are very treatable. Mm -hmm. Now, this is, um, we hadn't discussed this question, but I'm going to throw it at y'all anyway. Um, my podcast particularly targets um, women with unplanned pregnancies because that was me I wasn't married. I was in college. And then all of a sudden, whoosh, I was pregnant and my life was like obliterated um, in my mind. It wasn't actually. But, um, and so I think that there was that. And then there was the pregnancy. Would you say that for a woman with an unplanned pregnancy, because of that stress and the factors that that might lead to in mood disorders, um, is should she kind of look into support groups if she's just really struggling with the idea of becoming a mom anyway? Or um, what can she kind of do so she's like, I don't know, prepared maybe? Or is there a way to be prepared? I don't know. It's a really good question. And yeah. definitely, like, the research literature demonstrates that an unplanned pregnancy can be a risk factor among many other kind of situational risk factors for um mood struggles during pregnancy and in the postpartum. Um, so I think the idea of um, a woman accessing support early on to sort of give herself a safety net is a really good idea. Um, and that could involve, you know, seeking out an individual therapist or counselor that could involve finding a support community. One of the amazing things about social media, I think, is now there's a Facebook group for just about everything. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, it could be possible to find a community of other women at similar stage of pregnancy, also dealing with an unplanned pregnancy. And, um, you know, I think you're right. Um, just getting some support in place to sort of almost guard against um, that worst case scenario can be really helpful. And also just letting other people, um, you know, the people in her support network already know, hey, I'm struggling with this. This isn't entirely happy news for me. Um, would you mind checking in with me every so often? I want to make sure I'm, I get through this okay. Mm -hmm. What I hear over and over again from women is, I need a community. 
I need a community of women who will understand what it is that I'm experiencing. And they're right. They do need a community. And once they find one, uh, and they certainly do find one when they join one of our groups, uh, they start to feel more confident, more hopeful, and less alone. Which is such a big thing right now, loneliness. Um, Nancy, can you tell me a little bit about Beyond the Baby Blues? And I know that um, what you guys are doing is specific for like the Chicago area. Mm -hmm. Um, But I bet there's other programs like this, and it might be helpful for some people to hear what that could look like. Okay. We have a specific paradigm protocol plan for our groups that not necessarily do all um, perinatal mood disorder groups have. Um, and we keep our groups small. We are able to offer them for free, though it is a, a financial struggle for our organization in that we're constantly fundraising in order to be able to do this. Um, but we do offer it without a fee. Um, we keep our groups really small so that uh, women feel that they're part of a small group and that they have plenty of time to talk in each meeting. Um, we have not one but two perinatal mood disorder facilitators for every group. We don't tell women what to talk about. Uh, we, we really trust that they know what they need to be processing Um, as they try to understand their situations better and to be able to move on. We strongly support their uh, connecting with therapists because our group is only only six weeks long, and we don't feel that any uh, mood disorder is going to be resolved within that period of time. Uh, So we work cooperatively both with Joe's program and with uh, other therapists in the community to make sure that women are receiving ongoing services. Um, We try to nurture women um, as much as possible. It was much easier to do before COVID when we were all sitting together in a room, but it's working. So you guys have gone virtual? We have been virtual since the middle of March. It has not decreased interest in our groups at all because our intake is up since COVID because COVID is in and of itself an additional stress factor, a a big additional stress factor for young families. Um, Our our, and and we one of the things that we try to do in our group uh, is to include light moments along with heavy ones, and I'll tell women. You know, one moment you could be sitting there crying as you're talking about uh, the struggle that you're experiencing, and the next moment you could be laughing. There's a lot of lightness in our groups, a lot of laughter, and a lot of serious discussion. We try to help the women in our groups to feel held or very much cared for by us as leaders, and we stress very, very much the, the commitment of the women in the group to each other and to supporting each other. And this is really kind of something that fits for who women are um, because women can be very, very warm and gracious and supportive to each other while also being very hard on themselves. Mm. Um, And we talk about that. And one of the things that makes the group work well is no matter how much an individual woman might be struggling 
often she can really bring herself to be present for someone else. And that kind of characterizes the um, the good good feeling that really permeates each group. Mm. And it's complete. We also stress it is a completely non-judgmental experience. You can nobody can censor your thoughts, but we don't um, express uh, hurtful or harmful uh, thoughts within the group. Um, we, we don't compare situations. Mm. We don't, um, say that one woman's situation is more deserving of care or time or support than anyone else's. Everyone's on an equal footing within the group. Um, it's, it's a very supportive experience and women really do create a community and both before we were virtual and since we've been virtual, um, we encourage women to women to be in touch between sessions, and we encourage them to find a way to continue to meet or be with each other after the group is over. And one of the advantages of that is that women who've had a difficult time don't have to explain themselves to each other because they've already done that. They already know each other. They're already accepting of each other. So that's good stuff that you don't want to see end after six weeks. Yeah. Do you know if most of your groups do continue or at least a couple of the women? Yes, I believe most do. We also, we set each group up on a WhatsApp so that they can easily be um, in touch with each other during those uh, six weeks. And then we take ourselves off of that once the group is over and encourage them to keep going. Um, you know, I obviously, I don't, I can't with surety say that every group does continue well after it ends, but I know that many do. Mm-hmm. Um, I had one woman who said to me years after she'd been in a group, thank you for introducing me to my two best friends in the world. So Aww. some women form, you know, very dear attachments to each other. That's really special. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, I know that, like, I bet a lot of women are listening to what you're saying. They're like, oh, my goodness, I want this so much. Um, but if they're struggling with childcare or anything like that, do you know of, like, I don't know, for those women that can't make it to a group like that, um, is there anything they can do for themselves? Or is it kind of like one of those things where you need to put the time and resources into figuring that out? Well, First of all, I don't know of any group that's meeting in person right now anyway. So (laughs) we don't say to women, you know, you can't have your toddler in the room um, because that's just not helpful. (laughs) Um, And one of the advantages of Zoom is if your two-year-old decides to have a tantrum right then, you can mute yourself for a while while you can still hear what's going on. Um, Almost easier than going to a group. (laughs) Well, in in some ways it is. And we have had um, so many women reach out to us from a distance that would not be easily traversed for an in-person group that we're committed at this point to continuing to do um, some Zoom groups even after we are able to meet in person again, whenever that will be. Now, let me ask this, and I think your answer was no last time we talked, but 
So are you opening it up to like anyone or do you just have a cap or Chicago people first or? Um, no, we don't have a Chicago people first policy. I mean, I actually hadn't even thought of that till you said it right now. Um, anyone who reaches out and who is interested in what we do, um, we would speak with and consider for a group. We will, you know, do an, an intake with them. Um, we've had women reach out from outside of Illinois. The only complication to that um, is that the particular therapists who would be leading that group have to look into the regulations for telehealth for that particular state. So gotcha. they have to register themselves in a particular state. You better watch out. We're going to get some big money supporters coming in and nationalize your group and you can run it for the whole United States. <laughs> um, you know, if the money comes in, wonderful things can happen. <laughs> All right. I Any big donors also, listening? <laughs> to take the pressure off of BBB, um, I'll just put in a plug that there are also other um, entities that operate on a mm-hmm. national level and do offer some form of support, not the same mm-hmm. thing, not equivalent to what BBB offers, but um, Postpartum Support International, which is the organization I had mentioned earlier, they do have um, online support groups as well as phone-based, what they call chat with an expert. So it's kind of moderated by someone who's um, a licensed mental health professional, and it's just sort of like a phone-in. Um, so those are some other ways that um, women who maybe have challenges to accessing other forms of help could easily access help from home and at a very low level of commitment. Um, and oftentimes that's women's sort of first introduction um, to what it feels like to, to get help. And from there, they may move on to committing to, you know, regular therapy or more formal support group and other things like that. And you've mentioned that organization and several others. So those of you listening, don't worry. I will gather all of these links and have them in the show notes. So if you need to access these resources, you can go to the show notes and they'll be right there. We are also not the only perinatal mood disorder support group in the Chicagoland area. Um, There just aren't enough of them. There Mm -hmm. are others. Um, maybe five, six, seven others throughout um, metropolitan Chicago, which would mean outside the Chicago area as well as within it in the outlying suburban areas. But I think there there would be room for there to be considerably more than Mm -hmm. there are. Well, and uh, Joe, before you got on, Nancy and I were talking, the first person I ever interviewed on this podcast was um, Sue Gotchell from um, Chicago Family Picnic. Mm -hmm. And I know she runs support groups for moms after Mm -hmm. um, birth and everything. And so um, Chicago does have a lot of wonderful resources. Right. And, you know, her program is going to be about as close to ours in terms of the skill and sensitivity of the leadership um, as any group that I can think of. And she has sent women to us and we send women to her. Um, she is a fine group leader and a very knowledgeable person. Yes. So if anyone hasn't gone and listened to episode two, you need to go do that. Sue Gotchel with birth wishes. Um, 
Do you guys have any advice for a partner or a friend that might be listening? Um, if they notice um, a new mother in their life experiencing a postpartum mood disorder? Well, I guess the first thing would be to help uh, your partner or the significant person in your life to feel comfortable about acknowledging what she is feeling enough to talk to her provider. Um, because I think that is often a really good place to start or even her baby's pediatrician. We do have a considerable number of women who find us by Googling. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And so that's two big things I would say, um, especially to a partner, but they could also apply to another friend or family member. Three big things, actually. One is don't be afraid to reach out for help on behalf of your loved one. Um, my program does run a hotline that's specific to the state of Illinois, but a lot of the calls that we receive are from concerned partners or concerned family members saying like, you know, my wife or my daughter or my friend had a baby X number of weeks ago and something's just not right. So, you know, one, reach out for help and two, get information from reliable sources. Like there's a lot of scary misinformation um, out there online if you just sort of go Googling. And so there are some really reliable sources, which I can send you, Cheyenne, for your notes, um, where you can direct people, um, family members and women who are looking for more information about these disorders and how to get help. And then especially for a partner, I would also say like, get your own help if you need it. Um, you know, if one partner in a relationship is struggling with a perinatal mood disorder, that's automatically a risk factor for the other partner to struggle. Um, and so, you know, a lot of times that person needs support as well um, to kind of get through and, um, and cope themselves, um, both with what their partner is experiencing and also with maybe managing new parenthood in a very different way than what was expected. Um, so I think those are the most important things to, to convey to people who are kind of the ones supporting the women going through this. Yeah, I love that because, um, yeah, definitely for the partner, that's an important thing to have. Um, well, ladies, this has been a fabulous conversation. Do you guys have any thoughts, anything else you want to mention, thing we didn't cover? I don't know if there's anything we didn't cover, but I think I would want to emphasize again that um, when the medical providers are able to kind of set the stage for women by normalizing perinatal mood issues, by talking about them, by not um, avoiding sharing information about them with their moms and providing them with information that will help them connect with resources that it, it's, it's not going to create a situation where there are probably fewer um, situations that need support, but it is going to create uh, an environment in which women feel more comfortable seeking out help and, and have information about what help there is in their area and how to connect with it. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for joining the podcast. It was a pleasure having you here. And um, we just thank you so much for your knowledge and insight. Thanks so much for having us. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. I can't thank Nancy and Dr. Kim enough for coming on the show. It really means a lot to me. And the reason why it means a lot to me is because they helped me a lot when I was struggling with postpartum depression. 
Um, the North Shore University Hospital has a uh, postpartum helpline that they have set up and I called it twice and it was a very hard dark time I didn't feel like I had the money to go to counseling um, I certainly didn't have the time or someone to watch my daughter while I went and so um, uh, it's it's really hard to describe you know how I felt during my postpartum depression but I do know what I wish was that I had been more honest with myself about it and that I had gotten professional help so if you're experiencing any of the things we talked about during this episode I would really encourage you um, call the international helpline if nothing else if you can connect to a group in your area, if you can have a personal therapist, um, that would be amazing. But if nothing else, tell your best friend, tell your partner, tell your mom, um, tell someone that you are really struggling. And that can look many different ways. For me, I kind of felt like a trapped animal. I felt like I was a horrible mom that hated doing what I was doing, but I didn't know why I felt that way. Um, and I just wanted to leave, but I knew I couldn't leave because what would there be besides knowing that I had left my child? So I, that's really honest. Whoa, hot take there. Um, but I think that people feel that and we don't talk about it. And I know um, people really close to me have suffered with postpartum depression and it can be very, very challenging. So if you want to reach out to me, um, I'm not a professional, but I can link you to professional help. And so my Instagram is at two pink lines pod. And, um, you know, if you guys enjoyed this or this helped you in any way, if you could rate and review the podcast, that would be fabulous. And I hope you guys have a great rest of your month. We can keep believing that 2021 is going to look up, right? All right. Talk to you later.